Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you As always, it is an honor and a privilege to be up here, being able to pour out into you guys and on what the Lord has been stirring on my heart. Man, so I always thank Pastor Regal for that. And I think this month has been so cool, right? We, uh, we have, it's called um, Hearing from the Fan. And we're hearing from different voices uh, within our own house. And man, that's something that's just so special, right? Because we get to see members of our own body in here and we get to pour out into you guys and, and we get to hear testimonies and we get to see what God is, is stirring within us. And that's something so special. And, you know, I truly believe that we're at a season in this church where we just need to hear words of encouragement. Because with so many distractions that could take hold of us today, man, I feel it's so important that we're fed things that are building us up, right? Building us up, not tearing us down. So I hope you guys are encouraged today. I hope you guys are blessed today. You know, every time I come up here, I have one goal, and the goal is to bring God's word, right, in spirit and in truth, and to encourage you. That's always the goal of a preacher, at least for me. And it always reminds me when I go and I do street preaching, and I always open up the same way. And, and Carlos was there once with me, and Rizzo was, no, Rizzo, no, no, Rizzo wasn't there once. Carlos was there once with me. <laughs> Carlos was there with me once, and I always open up street preaching the same way. It depends where I'm, I'm preaching. I do a lot of preaching downtown and in North Miami. So I'll say, welcome, North Miami. Man, I hope you're blessed today in Jesus' name. And I always start the message the same way. I say, I'm here today to bring you a message. And it's not a message of condemnation. It's not a message of judgment. But it's a message of mercy, a message of love, and a message of hope. Right? Because that's what I want people to know, that there is hope. There's hope. So if you're taking notes today, the title of this message is The Obvious. Look at that person next to you and tell them, it's obvious. It's obvious. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard this saying. I'm sure you have. Some of the craziest things are actually right in front of your face. Or to something of that extent. You know, somebody might tell you, man, how did you miss that? It's so obvious. It's right in front of you. And I've said this before, not to neglect spiritual conversations with one another, right? Because in the spiritual conversations, many times the Holy Spirit begins to stir in our hearts. And it's crazy how the words of others really hold a lot of weight in our lives. So, this word that I'm going to share with you today began to stir in me last month at our hub party. And it actually came from Brother Eli. And this is not the first time that this has happened to me. Um, that somebody had spoke words over me, and I said, man, I'm going to take this, and through these words, God's going to speak. And it's funny, I'm sorry to pick on you, man, but it happened with Carlos last time I preached as well. He spoke something to me, and I said, wow, wait a minute, there's something powerful in what you're telling me here, right? So I have to take captive of that. So this happened to me this time with Eli. And you guys know Brother Eli, he's a firefighter, and he's a father, and he has an amazing little girl named Lottie. So me and Eli were playing a game called Connect Four. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this game. I, I used to play this game a lot when I was a kid, and it's pretty much, it's like a little 
tablet table thing and you got to put little chips and you got to make four, right? And uh, man, Eli's good. He beat me five times in a row. Five times in a row, this man beat me. And it was one of those times that he looked at me and goes, man, Omar, sometimes these things are right in front of your face. And he's talking about the chips, of course, you know. See, the problem was is that I'm looking all around to see how I'm going to align my chips, right? Instead of looking at his next play to see what it was going to be, I was focused on the distractions outside of it. And then he comes out with this saying, oh, man, it's right in front of your face, man. How'd you miss this? And then I figured out why he beat me five times in a row because he confessed. He says, well, listen, man, I'm going to tell you, I actually play this game a lot now as an adult. What? What do you play this with, man? I play this with my daughter, Lottie. And uh, we, it's an app, and we actually play online together all the time. So he obliterated me. Five games in a row. And I don't think actually, I think he was undefeated the entire night. I don't think anybody beat him. So that's what happened. And sure enough, my distractions caused my demise against Brother Eli. And you know, it's crazy because when he told me this, when he said some of these things are right in front of your face, I just looked at him and I said, what did you say? Can you repeat that? And he repeated it. And then I told him, man, Eli, remember today what you said. And I wrote down the date on my phone. And I said, because what you just told me, God is going to speak through that statement. And that's exactly, that's exactly how it happened. And that's why I say never to neglect spiritual conversations with one another. Because you just don't know what God's going to stir in your heart from that. Amen? And I think we've all been there, right? How many times haven't things like just been right in front of us? And we look everywhere trying to find it. It's really the most frustrating thing ever. And this happens to me more often than I like to admit. And my wife could testify to this. Sometimes I go to my pantry and I'm looking for something specific. And the last time I was looking for a bottle of honey. And I know it's there because I saw it the day prior. So I go to the pantry, I open it, and I go, where is the honey? I just saw the honey here yesterday. And I'm going crazy. And I turn on my flashlight, and I'm moving the cereal boxes, and it's not around the chocolate chips, and it's not by the pancake batter, it's not by the peanut butter, and I'm getting so frustrated, and I go, Jess, come to the kitchen, please. And Jess comes, and I tell her, listen, I need a new set of eyes. Because the honey was right here yesterday, and now it's not here. And I kid you not, she opens the pantry, and the bottle of honey is the first thing on the middle shelf, eye level, right there. Wow. I was so distracted with the cereal and the fiber one bars that I failed to see it. Another time where I get very frustrated where things are right in front of us is when you lose your keys. And bless your heart if you're this person that says this. Well, did you check the last place that you left them? If I checked the last place that I left them and they're not there, I wouldn't be asking you where my keys are. So God bless you if you're that person that says that. And it's crazy because with keys, you start looking in the craziest places, right? I start looking under my car. I'll go inside my shoes or my keys inside my shoes. I'll take the lid off the toilet bowl. Are they in there? And it's like... Why would my keys even be in there? You know what I mean? And then, lo and behold, they're on the banister where I left them. Man, like, how does this happen? They were right in front of my face. 
right in front of my face. And <laughs> it's frustrating. And I think we've been there before, right? With little things that we lose. And we start looking in the craziest places everywhere but where we're supposed to look. You know, sometimes God makes things very evident to us. Very evident to us. Yet we're so distracted with so much noise going on around us that we fail to see things. But we also understand that, listen, sometimes things are not so evident in our lives, right? And that's, those are times where we really need to get into fasting, into prayer, so we can use correct discernment on what the Lord wants us to do. So today, I want to dive into some scripture so we can see how God has made himself evident to the world. So if you turn with me to John chapter 8, I'm going to be reading verses 18 through 25. Give me an amen when you're there. Man, that's quick. Amen. So in this text, Jesus is speaking um, with the Pharisees of the time. So we'll start on verse 18. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. Where is your father, they asked. Jesus answered, since you do not know who I am, you do not know who my father is. If you knew me, you would also know my father. Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as a treasury. But he was not arrested because his time had not yet come. It's crazy. He's, tell he's telling these people, you know, you don't know me and yet it's so obvious who I am. But you, you can't, you fail to recognize me. So verse 21, later Jesus said to them again, I am going away. You will search for me, but you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people asked, is he planning to commit suicide? What does he mean you cannot come where I am going? Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Verse 25, who are you? They demanded. And Jesus replied, I love this part of the verse, the one I have always claimed to be. I have much to say about you to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I have heard from the one who sent me. And he is completely truthful. Verse 27, but they still didn't understand. They still didn't get it. That he was talking about his father. It's like, man, how much more does Jesus need to say here, right? Well, what else does he need to show? Yet these people still don't get it. They're not understanding. They don't see what is obvious right in front of them. You've been waiting your whole life for a Messiah. Ta-da, the Messiah is here. Jesus is here. And you see, these people were so distracted with everything but who Jesus was. God himself manifested through Christ, standing right in front of them, yet they did not know him. They were too concerned with their politics, with their religion, with their hypocrisy, too concerned with this man named Jesus, who's claiming to be the light of the world. They're too concerned that this man is here to flip the religion upside down. It's crazy because they're expecting a warrior. Man, but God sends them a savior. And yet they failed to recognize who the Savior was. They couldn't see the obvious because they were too distracted. Church, have you ever been distracted? It sounds like me. I get very distracted very easily sometimes. Have you ever been distracted? I think we've all been there. A distraction, something that 
is taking focus away from what we need to focus on, right? And then we see the, de- the demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 8, verse 27. And verse 27, it starts with this. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not, had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me. Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. Because many demons had gone into him, which could be thousands, right? It could be thousands of demons. Verse 31, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. This is crazy. When I really started to analyze this verse, a man that was possessed by a thousand demons recognized Jesus, but men possessing thousands of scriptures couldn't recognize him. (laughs) That's powerful stuff. Somebody that was sick knew who Jesus was. This man wasn't a Pharisee. This man wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a teacher of the law. Maybe he knew some scripture, but he wasn't a teacher of the law. But yet the man that knew all of the scriptures failed to see who Jesus was. Man, it's crazy because even the demons know him and tremble. It's obvious. It's obvious. You know, there's, there's still people in the world today that don't recognize him. And you know what the difference between a believer in the world is? And there's many differences. But one difference between the believer and the world is this, is that the believer recognizes distractions and we strive to correct it. But the world lives for the distraction to satisfy the flesh. But that's why you and me are here. That's why we're sitting in this church this Sunday morning, listening to God's word, to be the light in the darkness, right? What what does the believer do? We illuminate what is unseen because the unseen has illuminated our hearts. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to go out into the darkness to illuminate. Illuminate the darkness. You know, the disciples at one point couldn't recognize the obvious either. If you turn with me to Matthew 16, I'm going to go from verses 13 to 17. And verse 13 says this, When Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, catch this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. It's crazy because while others were trying to wrap their heads around who Jesus was, it was made so obvious to Peter. And maybe because Peter had an open heart at the time. Maybe because he was in a different mindset, right? But Peter knew what was up. He laid his distraction aside. He he put all the noise that he was hearing to the side. And he said, Jesus, man, there's something different about this man. He's not Elijah. 
He's not a prophet. This man acts differently. He talks differently. He carries himself in a different manner. You see, the spirit was already stirring in Peter, right? Because when you look at verse 17, and it says, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. There's nothing that anyone had told him that had revealed this to him. And Jesus is saying it. But by my Father in heaven. And the Spirit began to reveal this to his heart. And that's powerful when the Spirit reveals things to your core rather than man reveal things to your core, right? You know, the Lord has made himself so, so obvious to the world, yet they do not recognize him. I'm going to go through three quick points that I have. Point number one, the creator has made creation for all to see so that none are without excuse. And we see this in Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither, glor- they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory for the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in their sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another, they exchanged, check this, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and severed, or so, I'm sorry, they worshiped and served, created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And it's interesting because since the beginning of the time, men have always followed the desires of their hearts, right? Rather than the desire of God's hearts. And in this flaw, they have exchanged truth for lies on who God is. He's made himself obvious through creation, but people still fail to acknowledge him as creator. It's like, how much more obvious do we need to get here? I use this a lot when I street preach. You know, maybe you guys have encountered this, where you may be talking with a co-worker, a family member, somebody that's not a believer, and they may ask you, well, how do you know that God exists you know, maybe you've heard these things before, but the Bible was written by man. It's just a book. And, you, you know, we, we've heard these things before. And I used this a lot on the street when I was preaching. And I always used the same example. And I said, okay, no problem. And obviously, I'm outside. And I'll point to a building. And I'll tell them, you see that building behind you? How do you know that building exists? Did you ever see the builder of that building? And most of the time, usually it's no, they've never seen the person that was building the building. So say, okay, just because you've never seen the builder doesn't mean that the building doesn't exist, right? The building this didn't pop into place. It didn't just appear here out of nowhere, right? There was a contractor that subcontracted people to, to do the plumbing and the drywall and the electrical, and the building was built. You just never saw the builder of it. So what makes you think life is any different, Right? What makes you think that we just popped into existence? There is an intelligent designer behind the creation of the world. And I use that a lot on street preaching. And it's powerful. And then people come to, to, to a realization like, well, wait a minute, man. This guy's kind of true. The building just doesn't come into existence. There, there is a builder. And why would life be any different? Point number two, God has made things even more obvious to the world by coming here himself in the person of Jesus. And we see this in Timothy 3.16. He who manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached amongst the nations, 
believed on in the world and received up in glory. Jesus walked amongst us. And yet people still didn't believe the obvious. God has instilled a spirit in you. This is probably one of the most powerful points. He's instilled a spirit in you so that you may be a testimony to his majesty. Nothing has changed. Look at Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see, you and me bear the majesty of Christ. We are living testimonies that there is something supernatural that works within the heart of mankind. Have you guys ever seen the show Law and Order? Or CSI? Or a detective show? Does anybody here like those shows? I love those shows. I love Law and Order. I know Abby likes Law and Order. I love Law and Order. So... In these crime shows, they're, all, they're usually all the same thing, right? There's a, there's a perpetrator, a suspect that they're after, that they've committed a crime. So they got these detectives to go out. And the detectives start detecting stuff, right? They start doing stuff like with the little brush and the fingerprint. And, and they got the red crime scene tape. And they got all this stuff going on. And then at the end of every show, they always catch the bad guy, right? And you always see a scene where they're in the court. And you got the bad guy there, the prosecutor, and the defendants, and then you got the jury. And then you got something very important. You have eyewitness testimony, right? We got eyewitness testimony. That's what the detectives do. They go out and they want to talk to people, people that were there, people that saw, that heard, that witnessed the crime. And then they bring these people to court. So while the subject and the perpetrator are standing in front of the judge... You got 10 other people that are eyewitnesses to what this person did. They saw, they heard, they witnessed. They're telling their story to the jury. And usually nine out of 10 times, case closed, right? That's it. They were there. They saw what you did. You can't get away. Eyewitness testimonies to your crime. We're eyewitness testimonies to Christ, right? Because his spirit lives in us. We're witnesses to that. 2 Peter 1.16 is the perfect verse. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. These are the disciples. The disciples are talking saying we were eyewitnesses. We saw, we heard what Jesus did. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he appeared to over 500 brethren. Clay's closed. The episode's over, right? It's obvious. That's it. We have the eyewitness testimony. You see, things are very obvious most of the time. But most just choose to look at our distractions rather than what the obvious is. And we've all been there, Right? So not only the religious, not only was it the world that didn't recognize him, and we kind of went over this, we touched on this, but even some of his followers at one time, and we see this in the disciples, and we see this in Peter. Matthew 14. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat 
And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, after he dismissed them, he went up into the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. We understand what's going on, right? The disciples are in a boat. Jesus is on land. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. They didn't recognize it was Jesus. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They couldn't recognize him. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out into the water. He said, come. Come, he said. Then Then Peter got down out of the boat walked onto the water, and came towards Jesus. So Peter starts out good. He's starting out pretty good. He's trusting the Lord at this moment. And he says, yes, Lord, I trust you. I know it's you. But then the distraction came. Check out verse, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, distraction, when he saw the wind, he was afraid And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. You know, I could imagine Peter here. Just kidding, God. Just kidding, Lord. I kind of trust you. But I'm too scared of the circumstance around me. Church, have you ever been in a situation where you're scared of the circumstance around you? That you started off good trusting the Lord. But then things got a little difficult and you're like, man, I'm not sure if I'm trusting you the way I'm supposed to be trusting you, Lord. I've been there. I'm trusting the Lord, but, you see, we put a but where there should be a period, right? No but. I'm trusting you, Lord, period. But many times we allow our circumstance to dictate our trust. And verse 31 says that immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And it's easy to get to a place of doubt, right? It's easy to get to a place of not trusting. It's easy because when we're going through the fire, that's what happens, right? Maybe we get shaken a little bit. But the beautiful thing here is that even in our distraction, God is good. He doesn't let his people sink. He didn't let Peter drown. He picks you up. And the last disciple we'll talk about is Thomas. Some of you guys may know him as Doubting Thomas, right? In John 20... Says this. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And it's crazy because the obvious was right in front of Thomas the whole time. Thomas walked with the obvious, but yet he was distracted. By what? By fear, by what it'll cost him. You know, he had walked with Jesus for some time already, and he saw the miracles performed. He he saw Jesus' power. Why would he doubt the resurrection? Right? Like, who knows what Thomas was thinking at that time? What What was going on throughout his head? What distractions were whispering in his ear? And I believe that in our lives, you know, many times I've been a Thomas. I've doubted. Even though the Lord may have spoken to me a a certain word, I still doubt it. I still doubt it. So I'm doubting Omar for sure. Many times I've been doubting Omar. 
And the Lord is always shouting, man, just stop doubting and believe. The same thing he told Thomas, stop doubting and believe me, Thomas. Man, we've been distracted. How many times have we been distracted? So many times we fail to see what the Lord is doing. And it could be so obvious to us. It's literally something right in front of our face, but we're distracted by so many other things, and we can't focus on what his will is. Last month, Pastor Regal preached a message. If you guys remember it, it was called Shattering Dagon. So I want to ask you, church, how have you been doing on shattering your Dagons? I'm not sure if you guys remember the message or not. If you don't, I encourage you to to listen to it one more time. So how many Dagons have you shattered? How many distractions have you put to death? Do you even know what your distractions are? Because if you don't know them, I could tell you. What has caused you to stop praying? What has caused you to stop worshiping? What has caused you to stop reading the word? What has caused you to go away from the intimacy that you once had with Jesus? Right? What has taken up so much of your time that you no longer make time for God? What has become your new God? What has your fear, has your fear replaced him? Has your depression taken over? Has your anxiety clouded your judgment? Has your sickness caused you to lose joy? Have you lost yourself because of a broken marriage? Church, what is it? When you could answer that question, then you have found your distraction. You have found your distraction. But this is the truth, right? That no matter how many distractions we face, truth is truth. And you see, the distractions could only speak so long to us for such an amount of time. Because truth eventually drowns out all of the noise. And truth is what remains and what stands firm. Truth never wavers. So church, what are you standing on today? What distractions need to be drowned out? Because I encourage you to start walking in the obvious. And I want you to listen to this next part very carefully. And this should sound very familiar to everyone in this room. Because the obvious has come and the obvious has dwelt amongst us. And the obvious brought life with him and he brought hope with him and he brought peace with him and he brought love with him. And the obvious one day was nailed to the cross for the sins of the world. For your sin and for my sin. And the obvious knew that today you will be here this exact moment listening to his gospel. And by the death, burial, and resurrection of the obvious church, you and me have an amazing opportunity. Know this. That by repentance, faith, and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, you could have everlasting life. Because the obvious came to bring you life and life abundantly. Does this story sound familiar to you? It should. Because it's the gospel. The gospel is a thing of beauty. It really is. That we are not worthy, but because of his sacrifice, I'm able to be called son. So just so you're aware, the gospel is as much for the believer as it is for the lost. Amen? Let us never forget that. And there's really a verse that sums this all up. And I'm sure you guys know this verse. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world... The creator of all things before the foundation of the world knew you and loved you. That he gave, God gave, right? Not forcefully, not in a bribe, not because it's deserved, but because of his grace, mercy, and love, he gave. His only begotten son. You and me are called sons and daughters, but there are many sons and daughters, but only one begotten son, right? He gave his prized possession, 
because he loved the world, that whoever believes in him, this is my favorite part, whoever believes. You see, it's not just for a specific group of people. It's not for a certain denomination. It's for all who believe. It's for the Gentiles, for the Jews. I'm a Gentile. Are you a Gentile? We're all Gentiles. This is for us. Should not perish but have everlasting life. And sometimes we walk around forgetting the hope that lives within us. And the gospel is a good reminder of that. That hope is alive within us. Amen? So I love the promises in John 3.16 that he loved us, he gave us, whoever. So let me say this. Because I know I'm talking about things that are obvious and, and things seem really obvious a lot of the times. But sometimes things are not that obvious. Right? Sometimes answers don't come easy and the obvious isn't that obvious. But most of the time, we kind of know what the godly answer is. But what happens is, is that we become so distracted with the trial or the circumstance that we're in. That we become blinded to truth. And blinded to truth leads to bad decisions. Have you been there? We start taking counsel from the wrong people. I've taken counsel from very wrong people. I come to somebody so broken, right? And I pour out my heart. And the counsel that I got left me more broken than when I came to them. It happens. We start taking counsel from the wrong people. We start listening to different hundreds of opinions. And we try to validate our choices everywhere but the right places. And it's crazy because we sometimes tend to go to Scripture as the last resort when it should be our first option. You know? We want validation from man rather than validation from God. Come on, how many times haven't we wanted validation from people? I think it's just in our human nature. Right? We want to be validated. We want people to tell us we're doing a good job. We want that pat on the back. Right? We want validation from our spouse or from our family. Listen, I'm not saying these things are bad. But I'm saying these are things that we want. We want to be validated by our spouse, by a family member. We want people to tell us, man, you're doing a great job. And then we get disappointed when it doesn't come. But church, let me tell you this, man. God sees and God knows. He sees your faithfulness in the little. And he sees your heart in the struggle. And he hears your cry in the private. And he's standing back and he's saying, be still, be satisfied in me. For I am not against you. I am for you. I am for you. But the problem comes because we want the answer without the prayer. We want the victory without the war. And we want the blessing without the obedience. (laughs) And we zigzag every which way except the right way. And I'm preaching to myself 100%. Pastor Max said this last week. Some of us have lost hope because hope became about us. We have become the source of our own hope. You know, and it's funny because I can imagine God the whole time just standing back and just looking, looking down at us, his children, and saying to himself, man, like how many times haven't I delivered you, right? How many times haven't I lifted your hands when you had no strength? How many times haven't I been faithful when you've been faithless? Man, when the truth is that Jesus is the anchor of our hope. But yet we look every which way else trying to find that hope. And the whole time it's obvious it's right in front of us. It's right in front of us. So I want to encourage you, church, believe that. That there's nothing you're facing that God does not have in his hand. 
I have a little bit more to go. Tito, you could start coming up if you want to play softly back there. So we've talked about distractions and how distractions enter our lives. And I want to share a little something with you that has helped me stay focused when we hear all of the distractions. And I want to talk to you about something that's brought a lot of value to my life. Um, It's helped me drown out a lot of my distractions. And you're going to hear this and you're going to be like, really, that's it? But you know what? Sometimes answers are obvious and simple. So I don't know if you guys have heard of this term. It became popular a few years ago. It's called minimalism. Minimalism. And there's a documentary on Netflix, and I encourage you to watch it. So according to Joshua Fields and Ryan Nicodemus, this is what minimalism is. Minimalism is a tool that can assist you in finding freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from worry, freedom from overwhelm, freedom from guilt, freedom from depression, freedom from the trappings of the consumer culture we've built our lives around. Real freedom. That doesn't mean that there's anything inherently wrong with owning material possessions, right? Today's problem seems to be that the meaning we assign to our stuff, we tend to give too much meaning to our things, often forsaking our health, our relationship, our passions, our personal growth, and our desire to contribute beyond ourselves. So I adopted these practices a few years ago. You can ask my wife. She got home one day, and I have all of my clothes from my closet laid out on the bed. I kid you not, I had like... 70 pairs of t-shirts, 20 pairs of pants, 19 pairs of shoes, and I only wear three t-shirts and two pants. And I usually alternate between two or three shoes. So I told her, honey, I saw this documentary, and I know I'm going a little bit overboard, and I know it's a little extreme, but I want to try this. So I got rid of all my clothes. I'm not telling you to go home and get rid of all your clothes, okay, unless you want to do that. I got rid of all my things. Things that I haven't worn in over a year, boom, gone. I donated everything. And this is a crazy statistic. You know that the average American has over 300,000 items in their house? That's intense. So I started getting rid of stuff. Yeah, and some women, some women just in the closet, they have 300,000 items. Yeah. So little by little, I started getting rid of things that I was not using. I hadn't used in a very long time. Cups, forks, spoons, don't even get me started. Please explain to me why I need 20 forks, 20 spoons, and 20 knives when it's only me and my wife that live there. Can't say I'm going to have a big dinner party. No, no, no. I don't have 20 people. That's very rare. And when people come over, I'm not going to wash 20. Come on. I ain't going to stand all night washing. I'm the cook. No, no, no. So anyway, let's get back to this, right? So I started making my purchases more intentional, right? So now when I go out, I'm going to buy stuff. I only want things that add value and bring me joy to my life. 19 pairs of socks don't bring me joy. It just takes up space in my drawer so i want to live a very simple but yet valuable life and listen it doesn't mean that i'm a cheapskate i don't want you to think that like i'm a cheap guy or anything like that that's not what i'm trying to say but man i want to live a life with purpose and value and things that are cluttering my life i want to get rid of them (laughs) so now we could flip this right and i've learned this that in having little i actually have plenty So I've adopted these practices in my spiritual walk. And man, what a difference. You see, things that were distracting me in my spiritual bring no value to me. And I have to cut them out. Because I want this to be simple and not complicated. Love God and love people. Right? 
And sometimes we need a spiritual declutter. We need it. It's less of me and more of him. And a spiritual declutter might look different for everyone. Right? I don't know what hinders you. It could be certain TV shows that you watch. It could be music. It could be certain friends. It could be certain conversations. It could be a hundred different things. Man, but I challenge you that if something is hindering your walk, maybe it's time for a declutter. And declutter is a good thing. All right, because we're making space now for things that value and that help us grow. So we have to be careful because when we declutter things in our life, we have to make sure that we don't reinvite those things back. Right? And then we end up back at square one. And when things get to get complicated with me, I need to reevaluate. What is starting to clutter my life again? What's bringing distractions to things that are important to me? So the bottom line is this, is that sometimes in order to see what is obvious, I need to declutter my distractions, right? We should live this spiritual life with intent and with purpose. Amen? And I want to share with you one more thing before we close here. Some of you guys know uh, Pastor Regal shared it at, at 9.30 Hotel. I just came back from an amazing vacation. I went to Zion National Park in Utah. And my wife is looking at me with a face. It's okay, honey. I'm not going to share that story. There's a story to share. And you could ask her about it. I won't share it publicly because I'll get an earful. So we went to Zion National Park. And I encourage you. It is one of the most beautiful places that I have ever seen on this earth. It is amazing. It is amazing. And Rudy, if you could bring up one of those pictures, and I'll show you where I was at. We went on a lot of different hikes. This was one of them. But this hike stood out to me. This hike is called the Narrows. So it's actually exactly what it means, the Narrows. I'm between two canyons, and we're hiking through this river. And this was amazing, right? So to go on this hike, I needed to be prepared. You could play the video as well, Rudy. I needed to be prepared to go on this hike. So I had to rent special gear. I had to have special boots. I had to have special pants. I, they gave me this big wooden stick. Luckily, I didn't uh, swim in the river as well, as you could see. But it was difficult. Man, it was hard. Right? And I needed to be suited up because I was going into territory where I've never been before. Right? I was going to a territory where look how many rocks are there. There's so many distractions there. I had to watch where I was going to place my foot. Right? There was parts where the water was very deep. There was parts where the water was rushing. And I lost my balance most of the time. Man, but you see what I got in my hand? Look at that rod that I got in my hand. Man, thank God for that rod. Thank God for that rod. Because the rod was great. And this rod was needed in my life at that moment. You see, because when I lost my balance, I leaned on this rod. And when I got tired, this rod helped me up. And when I didn't know what was in front of me, this rod guided my steps. And the rod never complained, although the rod took a beating and never complained and it never gave out. You see where I'm going with this church. Our Christian walk is going to be the same. It's going to be rocky at times. We're going to go into deep waters. And at times the waters are going to be rushing. The waters are going to be rushing. And there's going to be times where we're going to lose our balance. And there's going to be times where we fall. Right? But we have a rod in our life. That rod is called Jesus. 
right? And when the times get hard and when the times get rough, what do we do, church? We got to lean in our rod, right? Because Jesus is never going to fail. The same way this rod never failed me, Jesus is never going to fail us. And the things are going to get difficult and they're going to get scary. But man, be encouraged. Because through it all, Jesus is the rod that is holding us up. He's the one we lean on in the struggle. He's the one that's guiding our steps. And listen, and I understand that not everything is going to be okay all the time. I get that. I get that. Not all the time we're going to have good news. But the good news is, is that we know the one who will make the unknown known. Right? And I've repeated a word today several times. I've repeated the word obvious because I want to drill this into you today. That God has plan and purpose for you. That you are not an accident. You've been chosen to be part of a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. Know that today. And yes, it's obvious that we're going to endure trial. And yes, it's obvious that we're going to go through pain. And yes, it's obvious that not everything is going to be good all the time. Man, but we have a living hope that obviously loves you. Right? So no matter the trial, no matter the pain, no matter the circumstance, it is obvious that you are going to prevail, church, because of the obvious one that lives in you. I encourage you. Be the obvious in this world that where darkness is, you become the obvious light. You guys can stand with me. I don't know who this is for today. I don't know what distractions need to be drowned out today. I don't know who's living in fear. I don't know who's living with anxiety. I don't know who's living with depression. Who's living with a broken marriage. Who's living with financial struggles. But Lord God, you're the one that knows. So right there where you're at, church, if that's you, the altar is open or right where you're standing, you could just raise your hand. Lord God, we come to you today, Lord, because... It is obvious, Lord, that there is something special stirring within the hearts of your people here. That's why we are here today. And I know that everybody in this place is a conqueror. Because if you were somebody that lived in a place of defeat, you wouldn't be here today. So Lord God, today I pray for those. Those who are living in distraction, oh God. Those who need a spiritual declutter, Lord. They need a, a, a fresh air, a breath of fresh air, oh God, in their lungs today, oh God. Lord God, those who need waters to spring up once again, Lord Jesus. I pray for that person in here today, oh God. Lord, that you just renew their strength, Lord. That they soar on wings like eagles once again, oh God. Lord, that they know the promises, Lord, that you hold for them over their lives, oh Lord. That you are for us, that you are not against us. Lord, and we know that things will get difficult. That not everything is always good all the time. But one thing remains certain, one thing remains fact, is that you are good all the time. So Lord, we could rejoice, Lord, that in the fire... We are good. In the trial, we are good. In the tribulation, we are good. At night, in our secret place, we are good, oh God. In the crying, we are good. In the pain, we are good. In the suffering, we are good. And we give you this today, Lord Jesus. 
Because you are good, I know that I am going to be okay. I know I'm going to be okay. So Lord, I thank you for today, Lord. I lift everybody up in this place today, Father God. Lord, that the floodgates of heaven just open up, Lord, and that your blessing just rains out upon your people. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We give you all of the glory, all of the honor, and all of the praise. And together, God's people say yes and amen. Amen.